Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Church, to, tonight we continue in our series in the parables of Jesus uh, found from the book of Luke. Um, last week we, we heard from, uh, from this very pulpit um, the, the parable of um, the, the, the soils, or you might know it as the parable of the sower. The challenge at the end of that sermon was, which soil are you? When the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached and his word is preached, which soil are you? And so tonight I, I want to start by reminding us um, um, from an important verse, oops, um, an important verse that, that was shared last week. And last week we heard this verse. The disciples asked Jesus, what did this parable mean? In verse 10, Jesus answers and says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. And so what does this mean? It means there may be a point in your life where you have heard any one of these parables and you can recite them back to us moment by moment and yet you had no ears to hear or eyes to see. You know the story but you missed its meaning. You had physical eyes to see. You had comprehension skills that you got from English but you didn't have a heart that was illuminated. Your heart was still dead. The things of God were still foolishness to you. And so you could not understand the mysteries of God. And so I found this important to say because, because this parable is like the Beyonce of parables. When we talk about the Good Samaritan, even people who are not Christians know about something about the Good Samaritan. You have Good Samaritan funds that are run by people who are not Christians. In fact, both the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son are two parables that are well known, but the question is, what do these parables mean? Can we draw from these parables of Jesus three different interpretations? You have your own, I have my own, and he has his own. Well, the answer is no. Because as you heard last week, parables are a window. They are a window to help us understand a spiritual truth. Jesus makes up stories to help us understand. He uses the stories to illustrate, to explain an important truth about salvation. And so tonight we will be going through the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the question I want you to ask yourself is, what really is this parable about? What was the message that Jesus was getting at that the parable is a window that is showing us to that message? Is it possible that you may have missed the heart of this parable the many times you have heard it? Is it possible that you may be one of the two characters revealed in this parable? Let's read the parable together. It's found in Luke chapter 10, 
Luke chapter 10, and we'll start our reading from verse 25. It is Luke chapter 10. And we'll start from verse 25. And Luke 10, 25 starts by saying, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered in verse 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You answered correctly, Do this, and you will live. Verse 29, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32, so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Verse 35. And the next day, he took out two denarii, And gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord, you said that it has been given to some to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for for others, they are parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Lord, I ask you this evening as I preach your word, I ask that the devil may not snatch it away. I pray that the times of testing may not cause these words to fall away from the hearers. I pray that these words may not be choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life that the people who hear it do not mature and bear fruit. But I ask God that as I preach your word and as your people hear your word that they will hold fast to it with an honest and good heart bearing fruit with patience. Even as I stand here tonight, Lord, I I preach with, Lord, doubts that my voice will carry me through. But God, I ask that by your spirit, you would empower me, Lord, to be able to speak with clarity. God, may this sermon be nothing of me, but may be everything of you. 
may I not err from your truth. And so God, I ask that your spirit would illuminate my mind and be gracious in the way that I speak, that those who hear it would hear words from you. I ask this in Jesus' name as we go through your word. Amen. And so the first thing I'd like us to to look at this evening is the parables context. And so I I title our, our, our sermon tonight, Who is My Neighbor? Who is my neighbor? But before we get there, let's consider the, the context to which this parable lies. In verses 20, 23 to 28 lies the point of this parable. Jesus is confronted by a lawyer. Now, it's worth us understanding that this is not a lawyer like Barry Rue or like Dalimpofu or Gerinel uh, or Harvey Specter. But it is a lawyer like Augustine, like Calvin, like R.C. Sproul. This, this lawyer was a theologian. He was a person who was well acquainted with the scriptures. Lawyers in, in Israel were professional academic experts in the law of Moses. Now this is the man who comes in Jesus' teaching and he stands up and engages Jesus, asking him the most important question that you yourself could ever ask. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now it is worth noting that that Luke informs us that that this guy was coming in hot. This guy was coming at Jesus. This question was not a question asked in earnest. It was a test. Like in high school, when you lifted up your hand and you asked the teacher that question that you knew the answer to, but you wanted to embarrass your teacher... This lawyer also had hidden agendas. He wanted to engage Jesus on a debate on this topic. He was a scholar after all. It is this debate that brings the question to the fore. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Friends, I want to remind us that that this question is the lens to which we are to interpret the whole parable. Any other view will have us focusing on the good Samaritan as the focal point, and our conclusions will be that, hey, we need to improve in our philanthropy. Hey, we need to improve in becoming activists. Hey, we need to improve our attempts at mercy ministry. That is not the heart of this text. In fact, this text was simply Jesus doing EE3. We find ourselves where Jesus is giving a gospel uh, presentation to answer a gospel question. So Jesus is going to answer this question by revealing to this man that this man was a man in need. He's going to reveal to this man like you do in EE3, you need to show the person that this person is really lost, this person is dead, they are in need of a savior. And so Jesus, in this encounter, is going to reveal to this man that, hey, you might think you know it all, but you don't have me. He was dead because of his self-righteousness. His good works were filthy rags. He was further from God as he thought he was. And the question to Jesus was, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers the question with the question, what does the law say? You professor, you lawyer, you teacher, theologian, how does the law of God answer this question? In verse 27, he answered, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus answered him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. That's correct. If, if you keep the great commandment, then you will live. Obedience honors God and God honors obedience. As he listened to Jesus, he was probably thinking, I have kept the holy days. I have kept the ceremonial feasts. I have kept the Sabbath. If, if this was in 2024, he probably said, hey, I attend church. I serve faithfully in ministry. I even teach in a ministry. I attend a Bible study. Hey, listen, during exams and during work crunch, I'm at church, unlike so-and-so. I like what a commentator said. He says, we, like this lawyer, tend to keep our gaze leveled on the horizontal plane. Just gazing around at each other, we begin to address ourselves as demigods. However, once we lift our gaze to heaven and consider what kind of being God is, as we look into the mirror of his law, not only do we discover who God is, but we discover who we are. Like the Pharisee and the text collector in Luke chapter 18, we will get there, this lawyer thought that his outward displays of righteousness earned him the favor of God. He knew that even his friends, his neighbors, the community could testify that, hey, this man dressed it, this man knows it, this man speaks it, surely he must be it, right? Jesus says, well, do this and you shall live. You see, what we find in this passage is, is this lawyer was, was comfortable at, at loving God. He, he knew enough theology that he could cover himself by his knowledge of God. He was, in fact, even comfortable by the way in which he loved God. But he was a student of the law, so he knew, he knew the law, and depending on, on Jesus' definition of neighbor he would be found guilty of breaking the law. And so he asked Jesus in verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? You see, friends, herein lies the problem. This man was self-righteous. He, he could not accept the possibility of being in sin. He thought he was perfect and right before God. My track record is clean. In fact, the conviction that filled his heart at this very point, instead of driving him to repentance, it drove him to look for justifiers. Is this how you respond to the conviction of God? When, when God brings his word to you and, and reveals to you your, your sin, do you respond by justifying it or do you respond by confessing and repenting? Or do you just explain your sin away? Jesus, move the target and I will hit it. Lower the standard and Jesus, I'm an angel sent straight from heaven. Who is my neighbor? If it is the priest if it is the Jew, 
If my neighbor is the scribe or the Pharisee, then Jesus, I have loved my neighbor. What about you here tonight? Is it the person who looks like you ethnically, maybe even genderically? That's not a word. Is it, is it the one who, who likes what you like and hates what you hate? Is it the one who speaks like you? Is it the one who holds the same theological positions as you? Is it the one who has the same personality as you, introvert, extrovert? Is it the person that just makes you feel comfortable with them? That person, Jesus, I have loved, and so I too, like the lawyer, if that is the matrix, then I have passed the test, and I will inherit eternal life. See, Jesus was not content to this answer because the lawyer got two things wrong. The first thing that the lawyer got wrong was the who, and the second thing that the, the, that the, the lawyer got wrong was the how, and because he got them wrong, he also got the loving God wrong. Who is my neighbor and how have I loved them? So the parable comes a response as a response to that question. So let's consider the parable, which is my second point, in verses 30 to 35. Now before I read the parable, I want to remind you that the parable is an answer to the question, who is my neighbor? If we answer the question to who is my neighbor, it should help us help the lawyer answer the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It is within this context that we find this parable. Verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So here's a crisis. A man was walking down a known dangerous road. And so all I could come up was dangerous roads in Hilbrook. And I thought, hey, what are some dangerous roads in Pretoria? It could be Nelson Mandela Drive at night. It could be Esalen Street in Sunnyside. The point is, this guy was walking down a dangerous road. And what we all expect to happen, happens. He is robbed and he is left for dead. Keynote. This man who has been robbed has nothing but the little breath that he has left in his lungs. Verse 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. By chance, the next person to walk by was a priest. I could almost imagine, praise the Lord. What are the chances that he who was charged by God to love God and neighbor, the man who was charged by God to be compassionate and caring, this is the person who so happens to pass by. Surely he will help me, right? He saw him and passed by. No compassion, no help. In fact, this is a mentality that is true today. As, as I live at the church, I have seen many people knock on the church's gate because the expectation is if I come to church, I will find help because church is a place where help is found. But we see with the priest, no compassion, no help. Now, Jesus doesn't complicate the story by giving us motive as to why, why doesn't the priest help. 
Uh, others, if you read commentators, they, they try to explain why, why the, what was the priest thinking when he was walking? What was he thinking when he saw him? Uh, some commentators go as far as saying, hey, because this guy was, was half dead, he didn't want to touch him because if he touched him, he would become unclean. You've probably heard that before. And I love what a commentator said. You know what the priest was thinking? He wasn't thinking anything. How do we know this? <laughs> he didn't exist. He's a made-up character. The, the, the point is we have a figure who is known for something who doesn't help. We have a figure who should be known for loving God and loving neighbor, but he does not do what he is supposed to do. Verse 32. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Now the priest is followed by a Levite. Levites, to bring it to a level where we can understand it, were basically deacons for priests. Uh, they, were, uh, they assisted the priests, they guarded the temple, and did many practical logistical things. But here's the key. They too knew the great commandment. They knew and were charged to love God and love neighbor. And so what are the chances? If the priest won't help me, surely the Levite will, right? He too saw him and passed by on the other side. Now friends, I hope you didn't miss it. Jesus intentionally brings two characters to center stage. He brings a Levite and he brings a priest. Two men who should know and live the great command of loving God and loving, and loving neighbor. But friends, they were all knowledge but no love. All talk but no action. Their religion was a deadening poison because like the lawyer, it was self-righteous. It elevated man and what man can do and what man has done. And because of that, they didn't love God. Verse 33, but a Samaritan. But a Samaritan. Now, a little bit of context about our Samaritans is that Samaritans were, were despised by the Jews. And it was, it was a two-way relationship. The, 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 the Jews hated the Samaritans, and so the Samaritans hated the Jews. They hated each other on ethnic grounds. They hated each other on religious grounds. There was a deep bitterness that was between the both of them. The relationship was a hate-hate relationship, no love. They were half-breeds, and so they were, they were considered unclean. Jews wanted nothing to do with Samaritans. In fact, they were known as the enemy. And so I had to think, how, how can I best illustrate this? Well, well, it was almost like the way we think of flies and bees. Now, that's a weird illustration, but stay with me. Bees we consider clean. If a bee lands on your Coke, or if a bee lands on your sandwich, if you don't run, you swipe it away, and you drink your Coke, and you eat your sandwich. Flies, on the other hand, are from the devil. In fact, I heard growing up that the devil was trying to compete with God. God created bees, and the best the devil could do was a mosquito. His second attempt was a fly. 
Now, now if, if a fly, when you think of flies, they are an absolute nuisance, they are annoying, they don't produce anything to the ecosystem or to society, we believe. So if you study that they con- it's we, we, we believe they don't contribute to our ecosystem or society. They are unclean. If they touch my sandwich, I throw away the whole loaf. Now, that's hyperbole, but you get my point. See, the point I'm trying to make here is the Jews hated the Samaritans because they were opposites. One believes they are clean, one believes they are unclean, one ostracized, one elevated, and so we have this hatred with extreme tension in between. Another piece of important information to help us understand this text is that it was this hated outcast who loved a person who despised him. You see, friends, though we don't get the detail, but we can assume that the dying man was a Jew. Why? The the question is, who is my neighbor? And the lawyer is trying to justify himself, and he justifies himself to Christ. And if Christ's definition was, do you love the Jew, those like you, those who agree with you, those you love back, then his answer would be yes. But Jesus uses a Samaritan to show that it was an enemy to the Jews that showed mercy because instead of retaliating, instead of looking at this dying man and celebrating, finally he's going, he's going down, he looks at him with compassion. He loves him. He cares for him. Look at verse 33. As he journeyed, he came to where he was, And when he saw him, he had compassion. Verse 34, he went to him, he bound up his wounds and pouring oil and wine. He he started by treating him on the spot. Remember, we were told in the beginning that that this man was knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. He, He was dying. He was close to death. The oil and the wine were just medicines to to help balm the wounds that he would be able to get to a place of shelter and safety. In verse 34, it continues, Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Church, the Samaritan sat by this dying man the whole night. He ensured that he was comfortable. He ensured that he was settled. He ensured that this man was well cared for. He he cared for this man far above what was expected of him. He gave this man his time. He let him ride his donkey while he his animal while he walked. He gave of this man his possessions. He gave him his money. It says he paid two denarii. In fact, uh, someone did did the, the maths and the studies that, that that would be enough to pay for two. Two months. This dying man could stay for two months in the inn. On top of that, he gives the innkeeper a clear instruction, run a tab. Look, he says, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He lavished this dying man with compassion, whilst this dying man had nothing. 
This man who had nothing received the riches of love and grace from the good Samaritan. Does that sound familiar? Remember, this is Jesus sharing the gospel. It is a dead people having nothing but having mercy and grace lavished upon them by the God who should punish them. Friends, Jesus Christ saw us dead in our trespasses and sins, deserving of his wrath. We were his enemies. We were alienated. We were hostile in mind. We were doing evil deeds. What we deserved from God was for him to see us dying on this earth and just walk on the side of the road, leaving us to die under the wrath of God and just wait for, ju- for judgment day. That's what we deserve. But that's not what he gives. He lavished his grace upon us. He gave his life to ensure that we live. He gave his precious blood to ensure that we are forgiven. He shares his his inheritance with all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, that's the standard of loving your neighbor. It's not a man-made standard, but it's a standard that God lived out in the flesh. So do you want to know how to love? Look at Jesus. In 1 John it says, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. If God abides in you, where is your love? And so I want to close with some implications. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said the the one who showed him mercy. Now, quickly, he says the one who showed him mercy. This lawyer could not even say the Samaritan to show you how deeply rooted this beef was. It was the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go, and do likewise. So to close, I want to I wanna show us three applications for the three different parties here. Firstly, the lawyer. Did you pick up that Jesus was pointing the question to the lawyer, asking the lawyer, are you a good neighbor? You see, the, the lawyer wanted to find out who, who is the neighbor whom I should love. He, he wanted to find out who is worthy of my love and who isn't worthy of my love. And based on that answer, I will know if I can inherit eternal life. But Jesus answered, the good Samaritan proved to be the good neighbor because he loved his enemy. So the question is, are you a good neighbor? Are you a good neighbor? You see, though the lawyer, he knew the law, he knew what it meant to love God, he failed to live it. The the law had filled his head, but it missed his heart. Friends, he would not inherit eternal life because he measured his life on the standards of man and not on the standards of God. I, I pray that that's not true of you. I pray that you don't think that God honors you for the faithfulness that you perform for man. Friends, fruit for loving God is loving your neighbor. Your neighbor 
is not only those whom you love, but it's even those whom you deem as enemies. And so, those who love God love their neighbor as they love themselves. Second, I want to talk to the church. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 to 10, it says, In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to the purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Church, I want to encourage you to know that you are loved. But I also want to encourage you to know, know, know the love to which you have been loved. You see, the good Samaritan lavished the dying man with compassion. But friends, you have a loving shepherd, a good father, who whilst you were still in your sin, he loved you and he saved you from your sin. You were not attractive in God's eyes. You were an enemy. You hated him. Not only did you hate him, you went as far as doing all the things that he hates. And yet, in his grace, He still chose to save you by dying on the cross for you. So love him. So love him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 to 21. We love because he loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. And so are you also like the lawyer with filthy rags? A big head full of theology, full of verses, full of theological terms, but an empty heart, no practice. How, how, how have you loved your enemy? Have, have you treated, how have you treated those different from you? Would, would your current disposition with your enemy show that you are a forgiven child of God or does it show that you may not know God? Have you worked hard at finding justifiers instead of repenting? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, okay? How will I see that you are saved? You will grow in your love for God and in your love for your neighbor. So lastly, I want to talk to you who hasn't yet put their faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're still questioning, is Christianity for me? Maybe you're still on the fence and wondering, should, should, I, should I commit? Uh, you're not sure if you died today, if you'd spend eternity in heaven. Well, I want to encourage you tonight that the Lord is calling you to himself because tomorrow is not promised to you. We could be taking you home and you could die in an accident. You could be walking and those robbers that we spoke about could meet you and kill you. Tomorrow is not promised to you, so repent today and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
Do not delay. Your sins are ever before you. Those evil thoughts that you think you can keep hidden from the world, those evil words that you have uttered, those evil deeds, the actions you continue to do, my friend, all that does is guarantee you a one-way ticket to hell where God's judgment is lavished upon you. But friend, God is rich in mercy. He is rich in love. He is rich in grace. He sent his son Jesus to the cross to die a death that you deserved, to live a life that you couldn't. You could never keep the whole law, but Jesus could, and he kept it. So that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, not only will you have your sins forgiven, but you'll have the righteousness of Christ imputed into your account. When God looks at you, he will see the righteousness of his son. And because of that, we have access into the throne room of God in prayer. We have the assurance that death today is life with God tomorrow. So won't you believe tonight? Do not tarry. Believe. As the good Samaritan showed himself as a good neighbor... The Lord Jesus Christ says these words, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. And so, precious Lord, even as, Lord, your word has been preached, my God, I do pray for us who say that we believe in the Lord Jesus, for us who say that we are children of God, that God, you would remember the matrix, that the standard to which we are to love one another, the, the standard to which we are to love our neighbor is the standard that has been set by God. And so God, I pray that as we've listened to this sermon, that Lord, we would ask ourselves the question, will we inherit eternal life? My Lord, I I pray even as we think now in in our heads, with our heads bowed, that God would ask ourselves the question, am I a good neighbor? Am I the neighbor like the good Samaritan that Jesus was showing us? And, And really, if I am a neighbor like that good Samaritan, then I'm a neighbor like Jesus. God, help us to grow in our love for one another. God, where we have sinned, I ask that you'd forgive us. Cleanse us, dear Lord, of all unrighteousness. But God, give us the boldness, Lord, to confess our sins and repent of them and change our lives to do what is right before you. God, I also ask if there was one here tonight who heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, Lord, as they ask themselves the question, will they inherit eternal life? Oh Lord, I pray that tonight is the night of their salvation. Where if there was anything that was unclear, Lord, I pray that through our fellowship outside that you would clarify that, Lord, through a conversation. Oh Lord, I pray and I, and I plead with you that tonight the soul may have been saved. And Lord, if the soul isn't saved, I pray that the seed is planted and Lord, I pray it was planted on good soil. And we ask you, Lord, in your time by your spirit, may that seed produce much fruit. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.